podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hi everybody, this is the Cricket Badger Podcast. Each badger marks the track with its own scent. His black legs are short but very powerful for digging. The name badger probably comes from the French word bêche, meaning digger. Welcome back to the Cricket Badger podcast and it's the second part of the Cricket Badger chat with Alan Richardson, the former Derbyshire, Warwickshire, Middlesex and Worcestershire scene bowler, the current coach at Worcestershire CCC and a really good guest. Alan continues to answer the Cricket Badger 20 questions in part two of this chat on the Cricket Badger podcast. It's that Badger style. I commentated on a game at Trent Bridge, Yorkshire against Notts, and it was a high-scoring T20, and Alex Hales hit an incredible 100 that day. It was a brilliant innings. But the third-man boundary, my arm was never very good in cricket, but I could have returned it into the keeper from there. It was just, he literally just kind of uppercut sixes over third man. You're right, you know, the, the, there isn't a lot of protection for bowlers these days, particularly in the short form. No, what I would say, though, is because, you know, we will plan some short boundaries and, the fielding restrictions the way they are and the bats the way they are it's made bowlers have to work really hard and so whilst I here I am whinging about it I wouldn't want it to be an easy life for the bowlers either because then they wouldn't be grumpy so it has made them work really hard and you know be even more skillful in the white ball game I'm not saying they're any more skillful than, than the guys from years ago red ball but certainly white ball the variations that they now have um, the strategies that they now have you know that has been brought on by what I consider, you know, it, it's been hard work for the bowlers. And, you know, we'll get to some grounds to T20 and you're like, this is a 50-yard boundary and they've got massive bats and they can do whatever they want. Like, it's, it, it's, it's at times really hard work for the bowlers. And whilst we'll whinge about it, I also think it has made sure that, that they've carried on evolving. Would you have given me the same answer when you were actually playing? It's, it's, it's an e- easy for a bowling coach to say, I want my bowlers to work harder. Uh, oh, I would have hated it. There's no chance. I think my last T20 game was actually on telly against Derby and Gary Park reverse swept me and I walked off and me and Bumpy looked at each other and we were like, I think that might be it for me. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I, yeah, I, I found, and it's quite interesting, I found white ball cricket as a bowler a real challenge and as a player in general. I, I really enjoyed it, but I certainly didn't have much success in it. And so I really enjoyed coaching it and being part of that. But it was something that as, as a player I really struggled with. To be honest, it was something that probably, you know, was I'd have had to have worked a lot, lot harder than I did to have made a success out of it. So, um, yeah, thinking out of the box, being quite creative, working on lots of things probably wasn't exactly always my strength as a, as a bowler. Your line and length bowlers, I mean, I saw a lot of Matthew Hoggard at Yorkshire and he, he never really cracked T20 because your line and length bowlers are the ones that go for runs at times, aren't they? The... the, the Facets of your game that maybe peg batsmen down in four-day test match cricket aren't necessarily the strengths that take wickets in T20. Yeah, I think just speaking from my own personal you know, experience, um, I was just too predictable. So my strength in red ball cricket was a, a bit of a weakness in, in white ball cricket and not in terms of my accuracy, but I, I just really thrived on hitting you know, what I considered to be a good length. And I needed to expand my game a little bit. I needed to expand the angles that I bowled from, the paces that I bowled from, Without moving, I didn't necessarily need to move from there, but I needed, I should have, you know, thought a lot, a lot harder about how I went about stuff. My Yorker was okay at best. My slowies weren't very good. And so, 
you know, the stuff that I thrived off in Red Bull cricket about being really dull and boring and just whacking away. That it, I think at the start of my career, it suited white ball cricket. And then towards the end, I was just cannon fodder. And I think Gloucester really exposed me probably towards the back end of their dominance in, in that bit where I remember bowling at Matt Windows and he just kept slog sweeping me. And I spoke to him afterwards. I was like, how are you doing that? He's just like, well, I knew exactly where you were going to pitch it. Like I say, my strength probably as a, as a Red Bull bowler probably didn't help me in my white balls. They say rock stars want to be sportsmen. Sportsmen want to be rock stars. Everybody wants to be famous in a different field. You see cricketers practising ahead of uh, cricket matches and they're playing football. Everybody seems to enjoy other stuff rather than what they do themselves. If you could have been famous doing anything but cricket, what would you have liked to have, liked to have done? So I think the obvious answer, and which tends to be for most cricketers, is we're failed footballers. And, and that's certainly the case with me in terms of I loved my football. I'm a massive Stoke fan. I played football to an OK level, but I was never ever going to get my idea good enough. But I grew up in a musical family as well. So my mum and my sister are both very proficient. My sister is a qualified music teacher, piano teacher. And so I'd love to have been a musician, but I was useless at it. And I didn't have the patience um, really to, to stick with it. My mum tried to make me learn how to play the piano and after about six months she gave up because I just wanted to be outside playing football and cricket but I regret that and I'd love to have been able to play a musical instrument and read music so a musician would have been amazing I think not a rock star because I don't think that would have fitted me I'm not exactly great on the stage I don't think but someone who would have been musically gifted and been able to make a living out of it I'd have really enjoyed that I'd love to have been able to play the guitar. And at the start of lockdown, I nearly bought myself an acoustic guitar and thought, I'll, I'll use lockdown to teach myself the guitar. And then I just thought, James, you're never going to do it. You'll just end up standing in the corner. People will walk into your flat and think, oh, you can play the guitar. And I just have to tell them, no, I've never actually picked that up yet. <laughs> Funnily enough, I'm looking through the garden at the moment into the kitchen knowing that um, my wife's got a guitar that she's borrowed off a friend and is attempting to do the same thing at the moment. And how's she, and how's she not getting on? Finding, not 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 finding time to do it at all. <laughs> Trying to teach yourself on YouTube, it's been quite, quite entertaining for me at least. I'm, I'm sure there are people out there that have learned to play a musical instrument. There will probably be massive rock stars and pop stars in the future, but I, yeah, I'm not going to be one. I'm far too old and ugly now anyway. But no, so there you go. no, but I'd, I'd love to have done that. So I grew up with a piano in the house and my sister and my mum playing continuously. And I, you know, I'd look back on that now and I was like, no, nah, I'd love to have done that. It's the old dinner party question. If you could meet anybody, living or dead, who would you like to meet to have a bit of a chat with and enjoy their company for a while? This will be one that will take anyone who's old enough to have heard of this bloke back a little bit, but I'm a massive Stoke fan. And so there's a guy that my granddad used to talk about a lot um, that I missed out on, uh, Tony Waddington, who was oh, the yeah. manager at the time when the only time that Stoke have won a major trophy um, which was the League Cup in 1972. And he, he managed the club for years and went through some really good times with them. And, you know, he talked really well about, about the game uh, and the stuff that I've read and everyone who's, who I talked to remembers him. And I think being a sports coach, I'd have loved to have sat down and spoke to him and just gone through it all. And he really got the community that was stoked. He understood it. Um, and have obviously managed some very good players as well. So Tony Waddington would have been the one for me, which I can't imagine, James, you will ever have that answer again from anyone else. I'm gonna, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try now and research all of the cricketers in the world to see if there's anybody that might give me it, but I might struggle, I think. It might, there might, might be a few podcasts down get, the line. Yeah, yeah. Dominic Cork and Rob Bailey, uh, the big Stoke fans on the county circuit, 
So whenever Baylor's umpires will start, I always have a sit down and a chat with him and he, he normally gives me a bit of gossip about who we're trying to sign or get rid of or whatever. So I don't want to bring you down the day before your birthday, but it's not been going that well for Stoke, has it? No, it hasn't. Thank you very much for that. But we're probably... <laughs> <laughs> so I've... Yeah. I, my granddad, who was obviously my big influence in cricket, was also football and he took me along to my first game in 83, 84. And so I've been stuck with them ever since. So we're probably... When I first started, we just about escaped relegation from the top division. But we're, where we are now is about roughly where we've been for the majority of my life. So actually, we're okay. I, uh, I hate to mention Kevin Sharp for a third time on this edition of the podcast, but he's a Leeds fan like myself. And I'm just waiting for the day where they call the season off and say Leeds have to stay in the championship. Oh, I keep telling him every day. I keep oh, telling him as often as I can. If that happens, I am going to cry for about three months, I think. Um, yeah, Kev does get quite a bit of stick for being a Leeds fan. There's and no. I have to be honest, James, I, I didn't realise you were a Leeds fan as well. I probably should have done. I've never been intimidated at a football ground as much as I ever have been at, at Ellen Road. So there you go. Best fans in the world. <laughs> <laughs> the Cricket Badger Podcast is brought to you in association with tvsportsblog.com. Give them a follow on Twitter at tvsportsblog. Excellent sporting content. It's well worth a look. And give them a follow on Twitter at tvsportsblog. Who would play you? in a movie about your life. They're going to make Alan Richardson the movie. Steven Spielberg is starting to cast it. He's asking for your advice on who should play you in that movie. Right. So I've, I've also thought about this. And for someone like one, it'd be a tough sell as a film, I reckon. But you never know. But I, there's this bloke who I absolutely love, who I think just does. He always, when he, well, not always, but a high percentage of the films he does, he takes off people really well. So Michael Sheen. There you go. Oh, he's fantastic. Okay, it he? can't be someone like George Clooney or Brad Pitt. That's just completely unrealistic. <laughs> but if we were to ask someone to be bandy-legged and bowl windmill bowling, I reckon Michael <laughs> Sheen would probably be a master it after a couple of years. He played uh, Brian Clough in that in the Damn United. Well, I love. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I absolutely love that film, and I think he's absolutely brilliant in it. He was he was pretty good at um, taking off Chris Cross Nixon, as well. Wasn't very it? good as well. Yeah, absolutely superb. Absolutely superb. So I've gone big. I've gone big, but I've not exactly gone, gone, you know, your typical answer of like your Brad Pitt or George Clooney or whoever else is really good looking in, in this day and age. Because let's be honest, that just can't happen. So Billy Bean in Moneyball must be laughing, <laughs> having Brad Pitt playing. It's ridiculous. I, I once went to Paris and I sat down in front of one of those street artists and said, as a bit of a throwaway line, um, trying to kind of play down my own beauty, I said, oh, make me look like Brad Pitt. And he effectively... After about 10 minutes of sitting there motionless, I picked up the bit of paper and he'd drawn Brad Pitt. It wasn't me. <laughs> <laughs> I, had to pay, I think I had to pay him about 30 quid for that. <laughs> What's the last time, Alan Richardson, you can remember feeling really nervous? Really nervous. It's a cricket one. Um, it is the T20 quarter final in 2018, Worcester versus Gloucester. And we managed to get over the line and get to finals. That's the first time Worcester had ever got there. And I just think I just you know I was I just gone back to the club I was re, you know new back to the club but I'd understood I've been quite close to quite a number of the players the heartache that had gone through over the last couple of years of not making finals days or big finals and I just think it was a really strange experience anyway as a day it was really quiet for a quarter final you know the nerves got to everyone really but Callum Ferguson the boys did brilliantly well but Callum Ferguson tore us over in the end and I that was incredibly nervous and as a coach always tried to make sure that those nerves don't display themselves to the players. I want to look calm and 
confident and assured. So hopefully it rubs off on them. But I, I think I would have hit it horrendously badly that day. And I think once you get to finals days, I've been lucky enough to be involved in a few now. They're brilliant. They're fine. And I'm not particularly nervous in those. It was getting there, which was really important. And so that that was a horrific day for me, despite winning. When Billy Godelman was on the, on the podcast uh, a few days ago, he was saying, because Derbyshire made their first finals day last year, yeah. and uh, it didn't go to plan for them as far as that was concerned. But he said arriving at the ground and then seeing how many people were there and, and the atmosphere. He said he was fine when he actually got on the pitch, but it's the preamble, actually thinking, blimey, I'm going to be out there in a few minutes. As a coach, you don't actually get that luxury of actually going out there and playing. So you're always on tenterhooks, aren't you? Uh, yeah, a little bit. A little bit, and, ma- and managing that is, is is always a bit of a challenge as well. Um, you hope that, that that improves with experience, but it it's not showing that well with me at the moment, if I'm honest, and it doesn't really change too much. But you try and take them in, and we talked earlier on about not remembering performances. I'm tending to remember more as a coach, if I'm honest, and probably because I'm being able to just sort of take my way, myself away from it a little bit. I just remember, I think, as Warwickshire coach, we played knots in the final in 17. Uh, it was uh, in the just before the final. And me and Andy Pick were out there before the toss had gone up taking. He was taking the Knots bowlers. I was taking the Warwickshire bowlers, the Birmingham bowlers. And Andrew Flintoff and Bumble were singing in front of the Hollies. And it was all oh. kicking off. And you're like, this is awesome. <laughs> this is awesome. And after that, I was just like, I, I really want us to win. But the nerves sort of go from there. And it, it just probably takes something like that sometimes. But hopefully, you know, as well, something we've talked about as a group like these, these guys shouldn't take these days for granted and try and remember them but it is a lot harder you know, to do that and, to, and just to talk about it and to hear what Billy said then doesn't come as a massive surprise to be honest What is the top item on your bucket list? Things to do before you die What's number one? Um, I, can I have two? It's a joint one and it just depends what mood I'm in Number one and two then I'd like, <laughs> I'd like to either way spend a month in the Marlborough region in New Zealand and properly take myself down on Sauvignon Blanc if I could <laughs> and eat a lot of good food or go spend a month in Buenos Aires and do likewise with Malbec and steak. That sounds all right. You could, you yeah, could... they're, my, they're my two things. I, I, I'm not great for all these ones like oh, I want to do, you know, I don't know, uh, jump out of a plane or whatever or anything that's going to particularly harm me. It's, it's really, you know, I've been lucky enough to travel a little bit as a, as a player. I'd like to do more. Uh, and something like that would not involve cricket at all but me being completely self-indulgent when it comes to alcohol and food you can, you can fly to New Zealand spend a month there and then just fly around the other side of the world to Argentina and come yeah back probably home. could actually yeah. I don't know what sort of state I'd be in after a month in the Marlborough region if I'm <laughs> honest yeah your, your first training session back at New Road might be interesting <laughs> yeah yeah, they might not see me again, to be honest. So that's I, I, you know, I was really lucky, like I said, to travel a bit, and I went to Australia a lot, and I never made it to New Zealand, and so that was that's quite a regret actually. I played a lot of cricket in Sydney and loved it. I uh, wish I'd gone out to New Zealand at least once, really. Are you a morning or a night person? Uh, definitely morning. It intrigues me that that is definitely the predominant answer from cricketers. It's, they like to get up early, like to achieve something before breakfast. Yes. Yeah, and I don't know. Well, I don't know. My dad is very much like that. He'd be up and out and singing and whistling in the morning. And you're like, as a teenager, you're like, oh, leave me alone, dad. And now I, I just sort of morphed into that now, really. So I'm like, even in days like this, you know, I'm like, right, kids up, they're up, but let's get dressed. Let's get, you know, let's start doing stuff early. And they just look at me like I'm an absolute madman, really. My daughter would love to spend all day in her pajamas, I reckon, and she's only three. 
On a scale of one to ten, ten's the Fonz, the coolest man on the on the planet. How cool are you? Oh, I'm one. That was a very quick answer. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely, I've thought about this, and something that I tell the lads that I coach, especially the Worcester lads, don't try and be cool as a cricketer because cricketers aren't cool, really, unless you're really, really good. But essentially, you're not cool. And that's fine. You should be fine with that. Don't try and be cool. I think one of my bugbears is seeing young players trying to be cool. So shades on, cap on backwards, running around. And I'm like, come on, we're not cool. We're just playing cricket. Yeah, you've got, you've got to be Brian Lara or, or somebody. You've got whites on. Let's not make it into a fashion statement. Yeah. Just play the game. Viv, Viv Richards is probably the coolest person I've ever seen. But he was rather good, wasn't he? Yeah, he was rather good. And I think, you know, I'm willing to accept that there are some cool cricketers out there. And all the cool cricketers I can think of were really, really good. Yes. So you can be cool when you end up being really good. How about that? Then you can go up. But I reckon I'm a one. <laughs> and I'm more than comfortable with that. I accepted that a long, long time ago. That's fair enough. That's fair enough. You, you get happy in your own skin. If you had access yeah. to a time machine, where and when would you drive it to? Where would you like to visit? Which year? 17th of April, 2011. And we're going to Wembley, Stoke 5, <laughs> Bolton Nil. There you go. <laughs> So very precise. I, yeah, I bought uh, my my wife now, but girlfriend at the time. I bought a ticket to go and watch Adele in Manchester, like a year before that, and so committed to that and stuck with that, and ended up watching the game in a pub in Manchester somewhere, just wishing that I was there with all my mates. Basically, that is the definition of true love. Yeah, you know, but the opportunity, you know, my team won five 0 at Wembley. I'm pretty sure that that isn't going to happen again in my lifetime. <laughs> I can so, tell you it's not. <laughs> so I'm fairly, yeah. So yeah, that's where I go back to. There's probably loads of other bits that I should go back to, but that was the one that instantly sprung to mind. This is coming from a Leeds fan, as you know, but you could probably live to 180 and I don't think you'll see Stoke do that at Wembley again. Or at- yeah, I know. I know. And that, that will always sit with me. I mean, it, like I say, it was a good gig and I had a great day, but yeah. <laughs> Thank you very much, everybody, for listening to the Cricket Badger podcast. The listeners are going up every single week through COVID-19. Hopefully, we're giving you a little bit of entertainment to take you away from the troubles in the world. Thank you very much for listening. Loads of great guests planned for the next few weeks as well. So stay tuned to Cricket Badger podcast. Like, subscribe. Thank you so much for your support of the Cricket Badger podcast. Have we already heard the answer to this next question in the in the in the wine drinking around the world answer? If you could live anywhere in the world, where would it be? Oh no, no, no. it's slightly different, slightly different. Um, it'd be Sydney, but you, I'd need to have a lot of money. I'd need, I want a lot of money because I love Sydney, and I was like I, said, I was fortunate enough. I played six or seven seasons out there, so I have a lot of good friends out there. Um, a real strong affinity with the place, um, but I need a lot of money. If you haven't got a lot of money, then you end up out in the sticks about an hour away in suburbs. It could be anywhere else in the world. So I want a lot of money and I need to live on the harbour somewhere with a beach within walking distance. And there's a few places, so I'd be quite happy then. If you could change one thing about yourself, what would you change? My annoyingly loud voice. I get quite a bit of stick for that. And I'd really, I know a lot of people say this, but I really don't like hearing my own voice. So you, will you be listening to this podcast when it goes out? Uh, yes, of course I will. <laughs> but I won't, I won't enjoy the, the annoying loud voice on the on the end of it. I'll be listening to your bits, James. That'll be very good. Well, I'll, I'll send you a special version with your answers dubbed out, shall I? Yeah, you can. Find someone with a really nice voice. That'd be good <laughs> and a good accent. It'd be lovely. Get Michael Sheen in. Yeah, there you go.
What will you be doing in 10 years' time? I'd imagine the ambition is to be doing what you're doing now, is it? It is, really. And I, I try to think about this. And no, I, I'm very lucky that I, I love my job. You know, people talk about their dream jobs and, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm there, really. I absolutely love it. Um, I'm still involved with the game. I get the chance to either help people or completely ruin their careers. I, I guess what I would like at some stage is to have someone with a windmill action come through the system before I finish. There you go. So you can heal yourself. Yes. Yeah. So I'm just I'm just keep scouring the age groups at Worcester and the academy to find anyone who could remotely bowl with a windmill, and I'm like, they're in. Well, there you go. Anybody yeah. out there? Anybody out there? Any youngster? You're probably going to get preferential treatment if you bowl like that. <laughs> <laughs> it, as somebody that, um, as as we mentioned at the start, yeah. You know, the route into cricket wasn't necessarily express and you maybe doubted yourself at the start and everything. Has that made you take the rest of it a lot more, yeah, appreciate your life in cricket even more so because you never really saw that coming? Uh, I think so. I, 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 I probably think that, and I don't want to speak on behalf of everyone, I think everyone goes through that self-doubt and doesn't, you know, that, that whoever you are, there'll be only a select few who know that they will make it and be really extremely confident in their stuff. But for me, I think just because it was a slightly different route, you know, it's not probably even at, even at that time, it wasn't the most conventional route. Um, I, you know, like I said, I hadn't really played any age group cricket for my county or anything like that. So I was, you know, literally relying on a bit of club cricket and someone taking a bit of, bit of a punt on me. But it certainly did. And you know, I, I love being at home with my family, but it's given me the opportunity to travel and meet people that I never thought I would. So, yeah, you know, really trying to enjoy it and make sure. And I think that did help me, you know, even when I had some really poor days and I would have had plenty of those, just appreciating where I was um, compared to where, you know, life without cricket and what that might have looked like. So, yeah, I, I certainly think going along those lines, it always, I always really tried to as much as possible appreciate the fact that I was playing cricket and was involved in the game. You mentioned looking out for a guy with a windmill action, but I mean, I, I know, well, you know cricket coaches and boards and what have you around the country are, are very conscious as well of, you know, obviously the age group, the pathways and, and playing for the under 11s, under 13s, etc. Is, is, is the traditional route into the game. But they've all still got one eye on the local leagues and for, for late developers, haven't they? Yeah, and I think we have to. And I think we have to. We're very, you know, Worcester, Elliot Wilson took over from Damien Dolivera and that, they don't, yeah, it's been a really successful pipeline. And I think one of the reasons for that is it's not totally textbook. It's not totally, you know, down the line and they're open to so many things. Uh, they're very much, you know, they, they think differently. Um, and Elliot has continued that and not to really pigeonhole someone. And, you know, you don't make, you know, judgments and decisions on kids that are 11, 12, 13, going even higher than that. And I think, you know, like I said, if you go through county cricket, there'll be, I don't know what it would be like, but there'll be a certain percentage where it was never in any doubt that these guys have got there. And then there'll be a, also a decent percentage where you're like, it would have been touch and go for a, a long time. And so I, I was a big believer that I was very much right place, right time for me with Warwickshire, where they had a lot of injuries and I was bowling pretty well. And they picked me up for a trial and I did quite well in those. And the next thing you know, I'm being signed by one of the biggest counties in the country. So, you know, there's going to be plenty of guys out there who are good enough but just might not always get that opportunity. So I think I think you've got to keep you, your mind as open as possible to all the cricketers that you see. In, in the same and way, and what they look like. <laughs> yeah, in the same way, your college course might not still be available for you. I think my dodgy knees, bad back, and age—I'm probably past that window. Oh, there'll, even there'll be certain restrictions now, James. <laughs> yes, certainly. 
certainly. Yeah. But I, I, I'm intrigued by, and I'm not very good at it, but the whole idea of talent ID and try and keep asking questions about that and keep trying to read up on that and, and how you identify people and what you look for, really. But it still feels like a huge lottery at times. We've come to t- question number 20. Thank you very, very much indeed for your time today. If you'd been picking these questions, Alan Richardson, you've had the task of setting these questions down and asking yourself the questions for this interview. What would you have asked yourself to get a great and exclusive answer? Oh, I don't know if you can get any great answers from me. And I've really struggled with this one, James, to be honest. But it would be something along the lines of give us an unknown fact about yourself. That was literally the minute and you would have got either do you know that my voice is used on voiceovers on doctors the bbc daytime drama there you go or that i am a registered alcoholic in the state of baroda in india is that both of those true yes really you're gonna you're gonna have to to give me at least a sentence on each just to flesh them out a little bit because that i'm really 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 dull first one is loads of friends in the bbc and uh, one of them was in the editing and was just like, right, I need someone just to come in and do some voiceovers. So tannoy announcements, things like that, that we can just continually use. And me not having a proper job being a cricketer, I was like, I'll do it. So I went in and spent like an afternoon in one of the editing booths, just literally spouting out anything and everything. <laughs> so somewhere on the line many years ago, they have been with a, with a Dr. Richardson, please report to some unit. And I would have used that quite a bit. There you go. Fantastic. And what, what about the alcoholic in... In India? Uh, just because Baroda's a dry state uh, and I toured with England Lions and we won a game and me and Steve Kirby were like, well, we need to have a beer. And they were like, well, the only way you're going to do that is to go and register yourself as an alcoholic at the embassy. So you need it for medicinal purposes. So that's what we did so that everyone could have a beer after the game. That is genius. That, uh, cricketers think like that, don't they? Uh, they certainly did at the time, yes. Um, I'm sure they'd be now wearing recovery skins and having a protein shake but we were like that's been hard work we've won in India and they needed two volunteers so me and Kerbs were as you can imagine I don't know if you've met Steve Kirby before but he's quite a character and I was his roommate and we were like right come on let's go Fantastic you may have thought about them but I I really like those two answers excellent answers to the uh, question number 20 Um, Alan Richardson (laughs) it has been great to talk to you today I hope you enjoy your birthday tomorrow and I hope that I get to see you at County Ground come along shake your hand say thank you in person and we get to see some cricket soon but it's been uh, really good to talk to you mate No problem James thank you very much for your time It's that Badger style Thank you so much to Alan Richardson for joining me on this edition of the Cricket Badger Podcast. I think you'll agree, a really good chat with him. Thoroughly nice bloke, cares about his cricket and he's loving what he's doing. Always good to listen to people that kind of attitude. Congratulations again to Worcestershire CCC for what they've been doing for the local hospice in their area. All playing their part at the club. And as I said at the start of this podcast, all 18 counties, hats off to you. Been doing some absolutely terrific work in the local communities during this coronavirus crisis. Thanks, as always, to tvsportsblog.com for their support of the Cricket Badger podcast. Give their site a view. Give them a follow at tvsportsblog on Twitter. And thanks to you for listening. Had some brilliant comments from you. Jack Russell interview really did hit home with many of you. The chat with Luke Sutton. Loads of uh, really good comments on 
recent podcast that we've been putting out on the Cricket Badger podcast channel. It's available on all good platforms, possibly on some bad ones as well, I don't know. Please, if you can, I did a tweet the other day because there's one review that's on Twitter and it came up in conversation the other day where you look at uh, feedback for things and 99% of it's really positive and really good and really pleasing. And then there'd just be one in the middle of all of that feedback, which just really, you off. There's one where, I mean, everybody knows I'm a Yorkshire supporter. It's on my Twitter bio, it's on everything. And there's one on Twitter, which basically is one out of five stars. And it tells everybody to avoid the podcast because it's absolute rubbish. And I don't know what I'm talking about. And I'm a Yorkshire biased. And it's just an absolute piece of bidoo-bidoo. Well, I don't expect everybody to love it. And if you don't like the Cricket Badger podcast, take your ears somewhere else. There's plenty of other really good podcasts out there. But there's one thing I firmly believe in, and I'm really proud of this podcast. I put a lot of time into it. I love the guests that come on, and I enjoy chatting about cricket. I am a cricket badger, and it's called the Cricket Badger Podcast. It does what it says on the tin, and it isn't one out of five stars. You might want to give it three stars. You might want to give it four. If you're really kind, you might want to give it five. But it isn't one out of five. And if you could please, please, please like it, subscribe to it, and leave a kind comment and a good rating that would be massively appreciated because it helps me increase the audience and keep it going into the future. And it helps me rid from my memory pillocks that leave one star and tell everybody that it's rubbish. Maybe I'm just being sensitive. I don't know. But honestly, from the bottom of my heart, I really appreciate the comments, the texts and the emails and the tweets that you've been sending in telling me that you've been really enjoying the Cricket Budget podcast over the last few weeks. As I've said in pretty much every single episode just recently, it's keeping me sane. It's giving me something to do during lockdown. And it is really pleasing that it's reaching some ears that are enjoying it. I hope that uh, I can continue to make them and you continue to listen along into the future. Some great guests coming up. I spoke to Brad Hogg, the former Australian spinner. He is great value. If you've heard him commentate, if you've ever met Brad Hogg, he's just a bundle of energy and fun and enthusiasm for the game. And it's going to be a great listen, that podcast, I promise you. I've spoken to Samit Patel, the Nottinghamshire all-rounder. We talk about uh, all things cricket in Samit's life. Keaton Jennings is just around the corner, not literally, in terms of podcast land. And he gives me a a really good, long, frank chat about his time in cricket and playing for England. A little bit like the Gary Balance one, under the microscope, and how he deals with that and how he hopes that he can get back into that England team. And I'm also joined by Phil Salt, the Sussex opening batsman, making his living now by playing franchise cricket around the world. Cracking lad, and got a really bright future in the sport. That's just the ones that are actually in the can. There are plenty of other names on my diary to give calls to on certain days. Some really big names in the world of cricket, so make sure you stay tuned. And it's even more important to like and subscribe. They fall straight into your inbox and you'll be able to listen to them immediately as they are published. Thanks for listening. Look after each other out there. Stay healthy, stay well, and I'll see you next time on the Cricket Badger Podcast. Podcast Network.